Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Beyond the Baseline is brought to you by FreshBooks. For freelancers and small business owners, FreshBooks takes the pain out of accounting. Have a question about the service? A real live human will answer every call in about three rings. Get your free 30-day trial by going to freshbooks.com beyond and enter beyond. Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. It is your Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast for the week following the Australian Open. I am in San Francisco for the Super Bowl and doing some book publicity. So we're going to talk with tennis producer extraordinaire here, Jamie Lasanti. Jamie, how are you? Good. How are you? Have you recovered? I am hopelessly jet-lagged. Next week we're going to get back to uh, a slate of guests we have a sibling of a top player we'll do some match fixing we've got some other players who have uh, requested to come on the podcast which is always nice to hear Um, but let's just do um, Jamie I thought with with my being so tied up here at the Super Bowl why don't we maybe just kind of put a bow on the 2016 Australian Open, I figured we could just kind of do a post-mortem, look forward. It's a little strange to uh, to sort of project at the quarter mark when we're barely out of January, but so goes with the tennis calendar. Obviously, some interesting results in Australia on the women's side. We have a fluky Roger Federer injury, which has fast uh, sort of supplanted Novak Djokovic's title as, as the big talking point in tennis world. We've got Fed Cup. We've got we've got a lot going on, considering we're only a month into the season. Um, but uh, Jamie, what do you want to talk about? You're getting ready for the Super Bowl, and we just finished number one of four for tennis, so we can start from there. It's only been a few days since Serena's loss, and I'm just curious your opinion. Uh, how much do you think this affected her? She, you know, she went back home, and now she's back in the U.S. out in L.A. This week, uh, sort of where you are. 
Do you think this is bigger than the loss in New York? You know, her her loss to Vinci may have deterred her from completing the calendar Grand Slam, but she had all of this rest going into Australia, no pressure really of the calendar Grand Slam. There was no drama in her matches before the final. You know, all, all of this seemed like she was going to win the title in Melbourne, and, and she didn't. So, so how much do you think this is really taking a toll on her? It was such a weird tournament for her because there were all these swirling questions. I mean, remember, she hadn't played a match since losing to Vinci at the Open. Mm -hmm. And there was talk about her knee, and there was talk about her confidence, and she was mentally fried, and, of course, she's 34 years old. And for a player who had one of the great years in tennis history, there were a lot of sort of speculation and, and skepticism coming into 2016 in this first major. She has a rough first match against Camilla Georgie, in fairness, a dangerous opponent, and she was lucky to survive, just sort of one of these grind em outs. And then for the next five matches, Serena was dynamite, and she moved well, and she served well, and she kept her error count down. You know, Djokovic had that 100 unforced error fourth rounder against Jill Simone, Serena had nothing close to that in the middle round. Mm -hmm. I mean, she was just looked like the Serena Williams vault. She actually, and I talked to her coach about this, she was playing as well for about 10 days in Australia as she may have played ever, certainly that she did for any 10-day stretch last year. And it looked as though she was going to win the title, she was going to get number 22, the draw cooperated, she didn't have to play Victoria Azarenka, who most people self-included, had thought was the most dangerous player on the other half of the draw. She gets Angelique Kerber, nice player, but, but not uh, anyone who'd been to a Grand Slam final before, much less won one. And Serena's level dropped, and Kerber, to her great credit, uh, and I think we should, we should pause here and sort of dwell on her for, for 30 seconds and say here's a player who basically late career, big opportunity, and essentially said, i got to seize this thing, and, and played just a, a terrific, terrific match. This on the heels of having beaten Azarenka in the quarterfinals as well. All credit to Kerber. But Serena's level dropped, the opponent was emboldened, and it looked like Serena sort of clawed her way back in the second set, and it looked like we've seen this movie before. And Kerber said, no, not so fast. And really won, I, I won't say stole, I mean, Kerber won that third set, honestly and honorably, and I thought Serena's reaction was very telling, which was essentially, good for you, I enjoyed the competition, and it's great to see you win, and if I hadn't won, I'm glad you're, you're the player who did. I think Serena Williams leaves here thinking a few things. I think one of them is this is two straight majors after having won four in a row. This is two straight majors that she had a big match and, and couldn't quite seal it. At the same time, I think she's probably optimistic about the state of her game. I think she's at peace with her, her place in history. I mean, she's, she's referenced Steffi. She referenced Margaret Court. I think she doesn't feel 34 years of old, 34 years of age. And I think this, this is really going to be an interesting year for her. But I wonder if with all the doubt about mental preparedness and about whether sort of her head's in the right place and whether her body's cooperating, she did not lose this match because of injury. She did not lose this match because of mentally she was fried. And I get the feeling in a weird way she's she's okay with this, certainly much more okay than she was at the U.S. Open, where mm -hmm. she you know, did that press conference and you could count the words on a couple of hands and the ball cap was pulled low and she left quickly and hastily. That was a lot different from 
how she was in defeat Saturday night in Melbourne. And all things considered, you know, disappointing she didn't win the title. When she reflects on her career, I'm sure she'll say this was one, you know, not unlike Stam Soser in the, in the 2011 U.S. Open, this was one that got away. And at the same time, given all the uncertainty four weeks ago, I suspect all in all on balance, she's, she's pretty happy. And where does she go from here? Well, one place she goes is San Francisco. She's coming here for a women's sports seminar with, with Roger Goodell and Billie Jean King among others. Um, she is not obviously playing Fed Cup. Venus is. But looking at her year, she'll, she'll play Indian Wells again, and she's likely to play Miami, where, where she always tends to do quite well. And you've got to think that with three more majors and an Olympic Games, a lot to look forward to. And you've got to think, you know, she's not going to win the Grand Slam. She's not playing with that pressure. There's not going to be any sort of come to New York with the burden of history. At the same time, she has the burden of winning that 22nd one and tying Steffi Graf, and I think that realistically that, that is a likelihood. I mean, I, I, think, I think that will happen. And I, I think she's saying, look, I'm, I'm not chasing the history I'm chasing last year. This is a different kind of history. And this one, it's not one bad day at the office. This one, we still have three majors to go. I'm playing pretty well. Yes, I'm 34. I'm going to have to ration my playing time in my schedule. But that, of course, is nothing new. And I, I think in a weird way, she, she leaves Australia in pretty good shape, certainly much better shape than how she left the Open last September. How's, how's, that, for a, uh, how's that for a Serena monologue, Jamie? <laughs> I know. You answered all of my questions without me asking them. You don't, you don't think she's going to get stuck on 21, though? Stuck like a uh, blackjack player, stuck on 21? You know, I, I, I can't imagine. I, I think a few things are going on here. I, I think one of them is that, um, you know, it, it's, it's two majors in a row, but they were under very different circumstances. I mean, that Vinci match was just a, a disaster, and whether she admits or not, I mean, the, anyone could see, and her, her coach even has spoken. And the pressure clearly got to her, and she was almost paralyzed. I mean, she, she wasn't moving the way she usually moves, and the serve speed dropped. I mean, by all empirical measures, um, the occasion got to her. I don't think that was quite the case on Saturday night. I think leaving when a top-10 opponent plays a terrific match and beats you is a lot different than when a player, you know, outside the top 40 mm-hmm. plays a match and you're serving at 60% your normal capacity. So I, I think um, I, I don't think there's going to be any sort of jinx in that sense. I think Margaret Court's record is something that always has a bit of an asterisk just because it was so Australia-heavy mm-hmm. at a time when the top players weren't playing Australia. I mean, I think most people put a lot more stock in Steffi Graf's 22 than any other record. And again, I think Serena says to herself, I may be slowing down a bit. I'm not going to have the year I had last year. I'm not going to go to the U.S. Open undefeated in majors. That's already, you know, that, that's already been precluded. At the same time, I'm going to get one of these. So I, I do not think she'll be stuck on uh, 21. I think, you know, Wimbledon's a likelihood. I mean, she may not win the French, but I think that, you know, between, between Wimbledon and, and the U.S. Open, Probably a good bet to get get one or the other, tie Steffi, and then I, I think uh, she goes from there. But you know, it, it, it's weird. She she didn't win for the second time in a row, and I think most casual fans would see that and say, "Oh, she's she's fading, and time is catching up with her." But this Australian Open experience was so different from her U.S. Open experience that I, I actually think Serena. It were a rare time you would ever say this, but. I think Serena didn't win the title and yet comes out at a much better place than when she entered. 
I wanted to talk about Victoria Azarenka, who Kerber beat in the quarterfinals. She was obviously the number 14 seed, but was playing well above that. A huge favorite coming to the Australian Open and was playing phenomenal throughout the whole tournament. Do you think this is going to change the course of her season? She had come away with a title in Brisbane. She came to Melbourne and she had this new mentality about her. She seemed very happy. What do you see for her? Do you think a major is in the cards for her? Do you think she's going to continue to win titles and just not get there again when it comes down to a Grand Slam tournament? What do you see for her? It, it, she's at an interesting point, too, because she was, you know, she was seeded 14, but it didn't matter. I mean, everybody mm-hmm. thought she was the player to beat on the bottom half of the draw for the first week. It certainly looked that way. I, I think she lost 10 games in her first four matches, and then she just didn't bring it against Kerber. I mean, Kerber actually had more winners than Azarenka, which is, which is crazy, when they played in the quarters. And now you say to Azarenka, it's great. I mean, you, you have this ability. You're a two-time Grand Slam winner. We, we all know what you're capable of, former number one player. But it's been, you know, it's been 30 months. I mean, it's been since the U.S. Open in 2013 that she's even been past a quarterfinal. And this is three, three straight majors where she's reached the round of eight and then hasn't lost. She's a player with supreme self-confidence. I mean, she doesn't have this sort of wavering self-belief that other players do. She thinks she's going to win every point she plays. She thinks she's going to win every match she plays. She thinks she's going to win every tournament she enters. I mean, this is not someone. She, she said for, you know, I talked to her during the tournament. She's like, oh, swagger. I've always, I've always had swagger. Um, but, you know, you, you lose at three straight Grand Slam quarterfinals, and you start asking yourself some questions. And I, th- I think it, at some level, it's sort of a, a what have you done for me lately? And she's a, a terrific player. I mean, again, this is someone who's, who's been ranked number one. We all know about her ability. She's moved very well. She's gotten herself back into shape. I mean, there's, there's a lot to recommend and admire. But the, the facts are the facts. And she hasn't been beyond the quarters in, you know, two and a half years now. Uh, it would be nice to see her emerge. I mean, she's obviously a player that, is on the short list of, of who, who can beat Serena and who can be the new number one. And after Serena, who do you like? And Azarenka's name is always in that, in that conversation. She didn't have the drama of Simona Halep, who didn't even win a match. She didn't have the drama of, of Kvitova, who's another one of these players, often in the conversation, but, but who hasn't been delivering lately. She didn't have an injury the way Madison Keys did. And yet, it was kind of a disappointing tournament for Azarenka, looking so good for four rounds. I mean, you, you might have, I mean, for four rounds, you'd say she's as impressive as anyone. And again, Serena had a terrific quarterfinal and a terrific semifinal. Um, Azarenka, after those four rounds of just cruising, blitzing, you know, barely an hour tennis, couldn't answer the questions that Kerber posed. And... She leaves another tournament saying, I I played well for a week, but I wasn't around at the business end. Speaking of the business end, all over America, people have businesses, and they're counting down to a huge event. It's not the Super Bowl. It's not the election. It's taxes. And there's a better way to manage your books and make tax season easy, so you don't have to worry. It's called FreshBooks. It's a cloud accounting software designed exclusively for service-based small business owners. It's the personal accountant you've always needed right in your pocket. FreshBooks is fast. You can create and send an invoice in 30 seconds. Customers can pay online. And if you have a question, they will answer. And you'll talk to a real live human. There's no phone tree, 
no please press one or anything like that. So whether you are a landscaper, a web designer, a freelance writer, whatever it is, FreshBooks will do all the heavy lifting for you on invoices, expenses, and taxes. And right now, FreshBooks is offering the listeners of Beyond the Baseline 30 days of unrestricted use, totally free. And you do not need a credit card to sign up. To get the free 30-day trial, all you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash beyond and enter beyond in the how you heard about us section. That's freshbooks.com slash beyond and enter the promo code beyond. I want to talk injuries a little bit because we had a quite a few post-tournament updates from some players about injuries that they've been dealing with or new injuries. First, you know, most recently, Roger Federer announced that he underwent knee surgery to repair a torn meniscus. You know, just today we saw that the Swiss papers are reporting that he heard it the day after his loss to Djokovic playing with his daughters in the park. So um, how, how is this going to affect him, his quest to win another major? And, you know, at his age, what is this going to do for Federer? Do you think he'll bounce so back? Yeah, I mean, let, let's, let's time stamp this, right? So we're, we're recording this on, um, well, I don't even know what day it is. It feels like April. By the way, digression, you, you cannot exaggerate the jet lag coming back from Australia. <laughs> I mean, this, this has just been a, a brutal few days of sleeping. Uh, so let's it's time Thursday. Stamp it. it's, it's Thursday, right? All right, so it's, we are recording this on Thursday, so I suspect uh, Thursday morning. You will be morning, listening to I, this I've on been, Thursday. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> again, I'm, I'm sleeping till May, but... Um, no, I, I, you know, and I've been candidly sort of running around doing Super Bowl and book stuff. So I'm just looking at my Twitter. And what, um, you know, th- as of Thursday morning, what we're being told is that this was an injury suffered after the semifinal match. Uh, it was very strange because when this first came down, everybody said, you know, he lost that match to Djokovic, but I, I certainly didn't see any sign of mm-hmm. impeded mobility. But then we, we learned that this happened the day after the semifinal match. And, again, as of Thursday, we're hearing that either at a park or a zoo, this seems to have been a fluke injury that happened playing with, with his daughters. Um, there is obviously a, a sad irony in that, that here is this guy playing a physically rigorous sport and just got done playing, you know, six best-of-five matches, and this this is how he gets injured. Um, I don't know. I mean, the... the Report I'd heard the last one was he was going to miss two tournaments and be back for Indian Wells. That seems optimistic. At the same time, the Federer in his camp in particular t- tend to be uh, quite quite realistic and professional. I, I'm suspecting they're they're not. Uh, you know, I have, I have no reason not to believe them. So this this changes things. I mean, this this is probably the guy who even at age 34 poses the biggest threat to Djokovic, who has you know, certainly had his way with Andy Murray. He's had his way with Rafael Nadal. Other dangerous players like Vavrinka aren't getting to the, the point in the tournament where they're playing Djokovic. I mean, you would still say Roger might be the guy who gives this guy, the, who gives Djokovic the, the biggest issues. And now Roger is, is slowed by, by knee injury. So your, your first thoughts are with 34-year-old Roger Federer, who's always taken such good care of his body and has always managed to go through his, his career with, with the exception of, you know, of the 2013-2014 the phase. He's always gone through his career um, injury-free. So there's, there's a certain sadness that at this stage in his career, he has an injury like this, and it, 
occurs in a, a non-tennis capacity. But the other thing it does, I think, is it only makes Djokovic's dominance that much more imposing that um, basically the number two candidate is, is going to be slowed at least this spring. Um, again, you, you hope Federer will be back in time for Indian Wells, which is really the next significant event. And we've seen, you know, knee injury is one of these vague phrases. It's like Hollywood producer. You, we, we don't know uh, the extent of this. We don't know the, the severity of this. There, there's a big range of, of options here. I mean, knee, knee injuries can be career killers, and they also can be the things that you get scoped out, and maybe he will be playing, uh, I believe it's March 10th when, when Indian Wells kicks off. You you mentioned, you know, he poses the biggest threat to Djokovic, and it, my next question is sort of just about how do the top men, you know, in, in the top 10, sitting under Djokovic, how do they figure out how to beat him at this point? You know, it's it's a question for Federer when he when he comes back, hopefully, you know, for, for Murray, Nadal. You know, Wawrinka's the only one who, who's beaten him at a major in the last 15 months. What what do they have to do, or what who's going to solve the riddle in your book? That's a great, great question, Jamie. Um, I think that it's, it's at the stage now where you're, you're not going to win sort of ground-and-pound tennis against Djokovic. Um, I think a player is going to have to power through him. Roundage at Wimbledon is, is a matchup that I would sort of put a star next to. I mean, obviously you saw what Stan Fabrica did in the French Open final last year. But you just sort of go through the list. I mean, at the Australian Open, before he played Murray, there was this graphic on, on the local television and sort of, you know, strengths and weaknesses and how many stars, typical kind of tail of the tape. And serve and return and movement and stamina. And it really, to me, sort of animated just how complete a tennis player Novak Djokovic was. When, when overhead is the weakness in your game, and of course <laughs> you, you can go sets without hitting those, you've got to be doing something right, but you sort of go down the list and you say, how do you beat this guy? And you look at his Australia, and he handled sort of a, a steady grinder like Simone, even on a day when Djokovic played you know, one of the worst matches in, that he's played in recent memory. And he can handle the big server, and he can handle Murray, and he can handle sort of the, the stylishness and versatility of Federer, and he can handle sort of a poor man's version of himself in, in Nishikori to some extent. It's really hard to sort of divide. You almost have to Frankenstein this player to figure out how to beat Djokovic. I think he's still susceptible to, you know, an Evo Karlovich on a fast surface. I mean, he's still susceptible to a guy just serving bombs, having the serving day of his life, and you know, dictating points and not going off the boil in a best-of-five-set match. But that, that's not going to happen very often. Um, the French Open now has obviously been the, the career-long bugbear for him. But, uh, again, you, you go down the list and you say that there isn't sort of obvious players, there aren't obvious matchups, there isn't, you know, when Roger Federer was this dominant, you'd say, yeah, but I still would take Nadal over him on clay. You go down that list with Djokovic, and I'm, I'm not sure that matchup on any surface really comes to mind. And... I, again, Roundich on uh, Roundich at Wimbledon is is a match I look forward to. But again, I mean, think think how crazy that is. We're we're talking uh, we're speculating about one guy on one surface in that tournament. In July, would be played. <laughs> yeah, in July, exactly. So um, I I can't remember. I remember the the Federer glory days in 2005, 2006. Federer and these these sort of three major a year 
event, and there was a sense with a lot of the rest of the field is, you know, Roger's too good, I'm playing for second place. There's a little of that creeping in, and I think a lot of that is because, yeah, I just don't know who the challenger is right now. I mean, who, who is that player that's going to step up the way Nadal did and say to Djokovic, you know what, I'm, I'm coming after you? Because I'm not sure it's Kane Ishikori, and I'm not sure it's Dimitrov, and I'm not sure, you know, Borna Chorich was a, a name that was hot for the second half of 2015, and he's gotten off to a very slow start. I mean, it, it's not as though there's an obvious candidate um, that, that's going to sort of have the Constitution to take on this guy. We're taking applications. Uh, yeah, exactly. So we'll start that match for, for July, and we'll, we'll wait on that. But Simona Halep is also waiting, and she has postponed her nose surgery. You know, we found out about this injury after the Australian Open, that she, after her kind of shocking first-round loss there. Uh, and, you know, she said that she's been dealing with various infections and you know, she was going to have this nose surgery and she was going to be out for a few months. And, the you know, just this week, she sort of took that back and said, wait, you know what, I'm going to postpone this. I'm going to play the next two tournaments. I'm going to play Fed Cup this weekend. Is that a good decision, do you think? Do you think she's she's thinking long term or what do you think the the decision is here? That's a good, I, you know, I, injuries are one of these, these things that it's, it's so personal. It's a little like Federer's knee injury, that, that, that some people knee injury is, uh, I'll get that scoped. You know, we see this in the NBA. I'll, I'll get that scoped, and uh, four weeks later I'll be back. Other times knee injuries are a serious deal. I mean, I was talking to, uh, to, to Darren Cahill, who said, you, you know, you don't, people don't understand how bad this, this virus was. She was having a hard time just getting out of bed, and it was in her nose, and it went to her ear and her stomach. Um, I, I just I don't know the extent. I mean, it's it's one of these things where you, you I think you just sort of have to trust the athlete's judgment. Um, Hollop obviously had a very disappointing Australian Open, and I think there there is sort of these swirling questions about her that she had this terrific 2014, and you know she came to Australia ranked number two, so it's not as though her her ranking tanked, but some of the aura I think has has dimmed a little bit. Um, Definitely something to prove. Definitely a, a player in need of some wins, especially at a major. But I think you, you sort of have to just trust trust the player here in terms of uh, knowing their body better than anyone else. Trust the players. That's something the fans of the Broncos and the Panthers are going to be doing this weekend at the Super Bowl, hoping that their team is going to take home the trophy. Sports Illustrated went all out for Super Bowl 50. The Audible's NFL podcast has three special shows this week, and the MMQB, featuring Robert Mays, will be posting episodes from Santa Clara. So for the best Super Bowl coverage in podcasting, you know you have to go to SI. Search for the Audible's podcast and the MMQB on iTunes or on your podcast app of choice, or you can go online to si.com slash podcasts. And now, John, we'll wrap up with a little bit of Quick fire winners and losers Q and A. So I'll just start naming off some players. First up, Gilles Simone. Gilles Simone. Um, I yeah, it's I, I would say same same as always. He's he's a great bet to reach the fourth round. Um, he's a less great bet to beat a player ranked ahead of him. Uh, I credit him for hanging in there and taking Djokovic to five sets, which obviously neither um, Murray nor Federer nor Nishikori could do at the same time. You're playing against a guy who has triple-figure unforced errors. You'd like to win that match. Do you think that was on account of Djokovic or on account of him? 
Uh, a little of both. I mean, Djokovic was having an off day, but Simone's one of these annoying guys to play against. Who, uh, you know, he's going to get a lot of balls back, and he's not going to give you much in the way of rhythm, and stamina is not going to be an issue with him. Sort of an, an annoying opponent, but again, you, you say, boy, if, if I don't beat him when he's this off, mm-hmm. when am I going to beat him? Rafa Nadal. Um, not not a good tournament, but not as bad as you might think. Um, another mystifying defeat, another loss at a major to a player. Remember, he loses to Fonini and he loses to Dustin Brown. Um, a, a loss to, uh, to a lesser player to major, but um, Verdasco just played the, the hour of tennis of his life. I mean, no one was beating Verdasco the way he played for the last hour of that match. So I think that, that's your consolation if you're Nadal. Uh, should have beaten this guy. This is a guy I used to beat up on ritually in my career. It's a countryman. It's a friend. It's, um, but, boy, was he playing unbelievable tennis. Milos Raonic? Uh, bittersweet. Mm. Terrific for 5.9 rounds. And was really on his way to beating Andy Murray. Has an injury, another injury. And suddenly it, it's a lot less of a... Uh, it, it, it sort of puts a little bit of a shroud on the tournament. Not on like maybe like a Madison Keys. This is a guy who's had durability one. issues, and this is a this has been a question mark for him. And so I, I think that's sort of a, a, a particular point that, that that makes this a little tough for him. That that injuries are nothing new to him. At the same time, he should go back and watch videos of of his first you know of his first five matches mm-hmm. beating Bavrinka, former champion, in five sets no less, and then really taking the match to Murray. And I think. It all comes down to health. I mean, I think the the game is there. He's he's you know a rational guy. He's a thoughtful guy, but he just needs to take care of his body. Similarly, my you know my next one was Keys, and so do you think between the two of them, do you think you know who's going to come back from these injuries first? Or are they just kind of going to be nagging throughout throughout their careers? Do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, Both I, you know, I'm, I'm always I'm always uh, with injuries. You're always a little reluctant to speculate too much um we're, we're not dealing with perfect information and sort of the uh, some of it depends on on rehab and how well the athletes know their bodies but the the fact that madison keys who i mean Lindsay told us on the podcast a few weeks ago madison either withdrew from or had to retire during nine events in 2015 mm-hmm. so when it's still january and she's unable to get through the australian open with another injury it really makes you worried. Um, you know, at, at the same time, the the ball striking is there. She's surrounded, you know, Scott Burns, she's surrounded herself with the right people. So, um, you know, I, I think I think we just need to see how this plays out. But um, it, it's a little bit of a sort of macro concern for Madison Keyes that she's, she's a good athlete and she hits a big ball. But if she can't get through a tournament without – Without without an injury, it's it's not going to um, it's not going to maximize her talent. Venus Williams. Yeah, v- Venus had that great fall and finished at number seven and then flew all over the place to uh, play points and improve her ranking. And after a, a lousy tune-up, she has a lousy Australian Open as well. I mean, l- losing to Conta looked better as the tournament progressed, mm-hmm. and she got all the way to the uh, to the semis. We are again. We're doing this Thursday, so Venus is, as of our recording time, uh, playing Fed Cup in Hawaii. 
So we'll get a little bit more of a sense of the state of her game and the state of her health over the weekend. Um, but for someone who finished so strong, um, for some for someone who finished so strong uh, in 2015, this was not a great start to the year. We'll finish with some doubles. Okay. Uh, we've got our 36 match win streak undefeated. Oh, oh Hangus and Mirza. Yeah, it's, it's like the uh, it's it's Djokovician. <laughs> they are uh, they are dominating the field, and I don't really see too many teams uh, that can compete with them. It's it, it's great to see. I think I think one of the real keys to this partnership are these are two players who have no ambition in singles. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we basically have two players that can dedicate themselves full-time to this partnership. They're not worried about the schedule. They're not tired. Um, we see that a lot on the men's side. In the women's side, we have more of the sort of the cobble together. You know, Arani and Vinci, there, there were times when both of them would be seated in a singles draw. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we don't have that with Hingis and Mirza and right now. I mean, they're, they're very fun to watch. They, they have a certain camaraderie on the court. Hingis has always had tremendous court sense and great volleys. And the fact that she, you know, she would get hit off the court a little bit when she played singles, especially in the latter stages of her career, that can be camouflaged a little bit more in um, in doubles. So it's all it's all good. Awesome. Let you get back to Super Bowl and book. I will shamelessly plug your book. This is your brain on sports with Sam Summers. We also have a podcast that you can listen to for the book. Oh, Jamie. Um, all right, back back to Radio Row. We we had a nice little. Uh, this, this was like a nice lunch break. We had a we had a nice digression to talk tennis. Now I'm going back to uh, can, can Peyton do it and Cam Newton's leadership skills. So uh, it was it was nice nice to uh, nice to spend some time in tennis land. Nice talking with you. Thanks, Sean. All right, we'll do it again next week. Mm-hmm.